0: Dude, this is a record time of getting someone on stage. And you're off mute. Wow. L- Listen, crazy. buddy.
1: I am a, uh, I am on time to everything. It's a curse that was passed on to me by uh, my grandfather and father to be early to everything. So
0: It's definitely not a curse. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had someone tell me very early in my life to be... Early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late, and to be late is not to be.
1: Buddy, that is the same thing I heard my entire life, and I live by that. But when you're at the airport three hours before a flight because you just get antsy and can't sit in the house anymore, you know that somewhere along the way, a good trait went to a negative trait.
0: (laughs) Well, that's where you got to really steer into the airport lounge access.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. And I do have... Uh, we just got global entry finally, too. So that was a uh, a nice life upgrade. So hopefully <laughs> less, le- less time in airports in general moving forward.
0: Um, well, thank you for popping on here, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm typing out one last promotional tweet. Um, and then we will... Get ready to go. I'm actually in your neck of the woods. I'm at an undisclosed location, Conshohocken, ahead of my uh, ten-year high school reunion tonight in Philly. Ooh,
1: that's exciting. We actually, weirdly enough, my high school uh, or my class bagged our ten-year reunion because nobody, people did not buy tickets to the event by like the deadline.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. good, a good buddy of mine is our class president from senior year. And this is part of the task. This is part of the, the assignment was to plan both the five-year and the 10-year reunion. And I told him at the time it wasn't worth it, but here we are.
1: There you go. Well, I hope you enjoy it, buddy. I am in the area, too. So if you happen to linger around the area for a while, maybe we'll uh, link up in real life.
0: I am leaving immediately tomorrow morning to go. Uh, well, to my never parents. mind. But, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the thought. The thought was mutual if it was possible, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so, yeah, man, how how was – I mean, Ben Simmons said it wasn't that loud in there last night. Like, what was kind of your overall impression of – we'll jump right into it – of Ben Simmons as a Brooklyn Net returning to the Wells Fargo Center? for. Uh,
1: I mean, I would say it was about what I expected. And, I you know, if you thought it was going to be uh, – a duplicate performance that Philadelphia offered in the spring when he he came back but he didn't play. I always thought that was a little naive because, you know, look, when the wound is fresh, when it was right after he was traded, it was never going to be as bad as that again. Like people are waiting outside the hotel yelling at their team boss doing all that in the spring, like that people enough time has passed that there's just not the same energy and fervor. And certainly what played into it a a lot was the fact that, you know, Joel, James, and Tyrese are all out heading into that game. So there's just not as much juice for the game itself. Um, But then the game starts, Brooklyn gets off to a good start, and the Sixers absorb the first punch. You, You know, they see Kyrie shushing fans and Ben giving Jordan shrugs at the free throw line. And they responded, and they came out. And, like, to me, the big takeaway last night is that that Nets group is just an embarrassment as a team. Like, you know, and, like, I don't put – I think Ben actually acquitted himself mostly well. He's basically the same guy he was most of his Philadelphia tenure. But, like, you show up to this environment. You know this is a big return game for Ben. Like, you know all the – it's a national TV game. You know this would mean a lot to him to come in there and get this one, like regardless of who's playing. And these guys look like they were not ready to play basketball for most of that game. Like, yeah, we saw individual greatness from KD and Kyrie in certain moments. But, you know, for the most part, this is just a team that was not prepared to compete with the Sixers team that, quite frankly, you know, should have gotten their doors blown off last night. And that just says everything about that group as like a collective and a team that, you know, your brother is walking into this hostile environment, even if it isn't as hostile as, you know, a lot of people were expecting. And to lay an egg like that and to lose to the point that your coach is pulling the starters with several minutes left in the game, you're only down like 14 or 12 or 14 at that point. I just thought that was a horrible look for all the guys on that roster maybe except for Ben Simmons, and even Ben, you know, a typical 0 effort in the fourth quarter. So <laughs> bad job by them all around.
0: Yeah, I didn't watch the game live, to be honest, but I watched it when I got settled in here um, late last night. And the Nets just have this feeling on TV. I didn't feel it in person when I saw them in Sacramento, but on TV when it's – national broadcast and the production values there and the marketing's there. They have this feeling to me that's palpable of like, oh, no, here come the Nets. Like for the first three quarters, it doesn't really matter how lackadaisical a start or how inefficient a start or what have you. Like when Katie knocks in a bucket or Kyrie comes in for some ridiculous slashing layup that only he can spin off the backboard. and. It, it kind of punctuates the crowd like it, it just bleeds through the TV of like, man, here comes Brooklyn. And I wonder if they kind of buy into that a little too much. Like, this is just me pontificating off the top of my head. But that was the feeling I got last night. If maybe they have bought into the like, we're going to come like here comes the Nets. Th- does that make sense at all?
1: I think it does, and I think it's honestly, like, it's a stark contrast to somebody like, for example, P.J. Tucker, who a lot of that game and a lot of the Sixers fan reaction that game is, you know, he can't make a layup. He airballs a three and has this disaster offensive game in the middle of the stretch that he's having a terrible offensive game. But, like, one of the big stories of that game is him just leaning on KD all night and battling Durant, And eventually, Durant just basically being a non-factor down the stretch of that game. Like, he's just not really involved in the offense. And, you know, maybe it's because P.J. wore him down. But that's why you bring in guys like that, these, like, character vets. And, you know, I still – we can have debates about what the Sixers ended up paying Tucker and all that and whether a long-term commitment is a smart thing to make to a guy his age. But –
0: Player option year three.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you want to have a guy like that on your team or a lot of guys like that on your team that when the chips are down, when you have all these starters out, you have somebody that's going to go out there and just try to make Kevin Durant's life miserable for four quarters. Maybe he hit some shots over him. Maybe Katie makes him look silly on a few possessions, and he certainly did last night. But, you know, ultimately a 20-point game for Kevin Durant against that version of the Sixers is just a massive victory for Philly. And I just I don't I I don't know. The Brooklyn the Brooklyn Nets are just not a team I can take all that seriously because I, I don't know who they are or what their identity is. Like when you have a guy like Kyrie who has been in and out of a lineup for you know a thousand different reasons over the last few years, most of them awful reasons. <laughs> I like I don't know how you build a culture. Like the whole reason or one of the reasons that Kevin and Kyrie come to Brooklyn in the first place is this organization builds up a culture under a different coach with different players and they rebuild from scratch. And then you end up in this place where they essentially burn that down. And now they're left standing with the ashes. Like it's just a, it's a bad situation for despite the immense talent that they clearly have on hand there.
0: Well, what do you think of Ben? Cause I've seen him a lot in Brooklyn, and then I guess it was only a week ago, a week and a half ago, I saw that Kings game, that aforementioned Kings game, and I shoot around that morning during the game, he just looked like a shell of himself athletically, and then all of a sudden he has that pretty good game against Portland, and now he's doing pretty athletic you know, pre injury Ben Simmons stuff. Definitely not all the way back, but he seems to be really taking strides. Like, what was kind of your assessment of ha- having seen him up close and covered him for years? Where do you think he's at right now?
1: Yeah. And like, I've watched a decent amount of them just out of curiosity of what that's going to look like. You know, like I had all these preconceived notions of like who Ben is because of how he looks in Philadelphia. And after all the ink's been spilled and all that, I wanted to see, all right, how does he look in quite a different setup there? And I agree with you. Like, I I think these last, this last like week, week and a half or so, I guess I'd have to, time has no meaning to me in the middle of the season. So I don't, I don't know exactly how long it's been, but since that Portland game, it does seem, and even within that Sacramento game, he had some moments that were, you know, It's a deck chair on the Titanic, but he started looking like he was moving in the right direction. He (laughs) looks now closer to Ben in Philadelphia. Now Ben in Philadelphia still has the considerable warts that, you know, I wrote about reported about all throughout his tenure here. And I still think you saw those in that game in Philadelphia last night. Now, to be clear i think that's a way better version of Ben than we saw to start the year where i do think there were physical issues but you could clearly tell like a lot of it is him being unsure of himself him maybe not wanting to go to the free throw line like a guy who's 6'10 does not airball a layup that nobody is guarding strictly because he can't move like that that's that's just something that I, you could tell he did not want to go all the way to the rim when that happened, and there was even a moment in last night's game against Philadelphia where he had a dunk where it looked for a second like he was going to miss it because he was fading away from the basket as he's in the process of throwing it down. So, you know, despite the fact that there have been some strides at the free throw line and all that, I still think a lot of the old hangups are there. But, you know, if you if they get the version of Ben that's a, a defensive playmaker that's, that's doing some of the things he did last night, like I thought... Even in the fourth quarter where he's not scoring, and obviously that game gets away from Brooklyn, Ben's making some great plays in help defense or isolation defense against Tobias Harris, who had it going in the second half. And you know the big problem is they have so many bad defensive players on the nets that you can just switch hunt until you get the guy you want in front of the, the player you want to attack. So like Joe Harris was the guy that Philly attacked basically the entire fourth quarter last night. And there's only so much Ben can do defensively to make up for things like that. So, you know, I, I think if, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan and you're hoping that Ben gets back to where maybe he was previously, I think you're probably encouraged with where he's been the last week or so. But unfortunately, the rest of the team is still kind of a, a roller coaster ride or a disaster, uh, depending on how you want to look at it.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Tobias. Obviously, reporting surfaced last week. I think it was last week to your point earlier as well about all the bleaks blending together that um, him being once again mentioned in trade conversations. Uh, to be honest, I have not heard his name come up at all. And I've been calling around the league all week trying to put out the notebook that I did um, at Yahoo this morning. And maybe it's just because it's a thing that's been happening beneath the surface for a while now, but, people talking about John Collins, right? So um, I I, I believe you wrote kind of a semi dismissive thing about Tobias's trade market at the Philly voice. But if I am mischaracterizing that, please correct me. And here's the floor to talk about Tobias Harris's situation in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I think we wouldn't even be talking about him as a potential outgoing trade guy if he was making, you know, 15 to 20 million dollars a year. Right. Like the reality (laughs) of this is Tobias is constantly in these conversations because of the price point that he's at and because on a Sixers team that this season is hard capped because of the the decisions they made in free agency in the offseason every single dollar counts and if they feel like they need to make upgrades or even side grades that are just changes to you know the roster construction they basically have to move to bias in order to do something like that or if they're going to i don't know how they would piece together a a star level trade at this point or if that would even help them with what they need but if they wanted to you essentially have to move to bias in that trade because He's the only guy they have that can get them to any sort of big matching salary number. But on the other side of it, like I I think Tobias this year has bought into exactly what they need him to do. He's been a higher volume three point shooter. He's shooting almost 40% from three. He hasn't complained about, you know, he's basically the fourth guy now, which when he signed his contract here, he he certainly was not going to be, The fourth option on offense, and he had a lot more leeway to, you know, initiate himself rather than just stand in the corner, be a spot up guy, all that. But, you know, I I think one of the reasons he'll also be in these trade conversations is because he is a a character locker room type guy. And if he was making less money, he would have a ton of appeal to teams around the league for the skill set, the demeanor he brings to the locker room. Like there are a lot of big personalities in Philly's locker room that he helps keep ground everybody grounded and all that's really valuable. But you know, the fact of the matter is he's going to keep getting brought up in these deals. Like we heard all kinds of smoke over the summer about the Sixers potentially wanted to maybe get a guy like Eric Gordon or somebody like that, maybe more of a a guard slash wing type where Tobias is a a forward. And there's maybe a little too much overlap with uh, PJ Tucker on the defensive end. Maybe you, slimmed down. Like, certainly, I think one of the more interesting things this year has been watching when the Sixers have rolled out lineups with Harden, Maxi, and De'Anthony Melton at the same time and what it looks like when you have Melton out there. He's more of a guard type on offense and a wing type on defense. And, you know, maybe they're a little more versatile with a guy like that. But, yeah, I, I don't think the team is, like, itching to trade him, but I do think that they are aware – He's one of their only paths to, you know, a big trade potentially at some point this season. And, you know, I, I do think there's some level of interest in him out there from you know people with other teams that I talk to. But the, the problem is coming to an agreement on any sort of uh, middle ground between, you know, the Sixers don't want to burn the few assets that they have. And they also don't want to trade a guy who has been just straight up good for them this year and useful in a way that they've needed him to be for years now.
0: Yeah, he certainly was useful last night. He looked great. (laughs) It was was a nice moment for Tobias Harris on National TV. For sure. In the big Ben Simmons reunion game. Um, It it was nice for him. All right, we're going to try. The calls didn't work last time, but we're going to try and take a call from Ryan. Ryan, what's going on?
1: Hey, guys. Love the program. So far, I read the piece that you did this morning, Jake, about Laurie Markkinen and called John Collins and all those guys, but I'm a Jazz fan, and I'm kind of curious if there's any buzz about Colin Sexton possibly getting moved. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that?
0: Thanks, Ryan. Um, I have not heard much on Colin Sexton, to be honest. Um, last I heard about him was him being a, a rumored target of interest for the Utah Jazz. So he also... <laughs> He just signed the summer, so he won't be trade-eligible for a bit. Um, but I would be surprised if there are many people right now in the league who are thinking similar to the contract conversation with Tobias, who are looking at Colin Sexton at $18 million right now and saying that's a number that we're really, really happy to bring him in for. I, I think he's already in conversation about the Utah pieces and players' This week, I had one GM tell me that he's just not a point guard. And so, if that's the case, is he a starting level two guard at his size? Probably not. And then you're looking at him being an $18 million backup, you know, reserve type player on a non middle ground rebuilding, whatever you, know, you want to call Utah to be. So, I don't know, Kyle, is anything that I just that say kind of. Do you you disagree with any of that?
1: No, and, you know, on the other side of it, too, I'm really fascinated by how this Utah team is going to handle the rest of the season, essentially, because obviously we all saw what they did in the offseason, and the assumption is just, you know, this is a throwaway season. They're loading up in a a draft year that we all know has some big-time prospects at the top of the draft. But you know, you get off to this good start and then you start to look at Danny Ainge's history. He's not historically a guy that has wanted to just straight up tank, right? Like if they were happy in Boston to be, I'd say like normal, bad rather than apocalyptically bad. And so maybe he's gotten somebody like Laurie Markkinen has been awesome this year, and I'm sure they're thrilled to get a piece like that in the trades they made in the off season. And you can only trade so many guys. Like they just have so many reliable vets on that team that you have to make just a, a gargantuan amount of moves to to make them bad enough where tanking even makes sense. So, yeah, whether it's Sexton or, or any of these other guys, I just – I don't really know what the path forward is from here.
0: Yeah, the other thing to your point about his history – I mean, the Celtics, I've said this so many times, doing shameless promotions for my book, but the Celtics traded KG and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn the same night that Sam Hinkie pulled the plug in Philly and traded Drew Holiday for Nerlens Noel. And it was only a year a year later that uh, Boston was trading for Isaiah Thomas midway through that second season of, of both those teams' respective rebuilds. And um, they immediately springboarded right to the seventh seed and, and kept on building, so... He's definitely shown that in the past, and I am not. I wouldn't be surprised if they went either direction, honestly, because he did trade off Rajon Rondo and Jeff Green and Courtney Lee you know, after he moved KG and Paul Pierce. So there's there's still – I don't know. It, it, the fact that they could go either direction, I think, is why they're so interesting right now and people are talking about them. Um, we'll go to Baller SP because I know he's got a Philly question for us. What's up, Baller SP?
2: Yo, Jake and Kyle, it's good to hear from both of you. How you guys doing? Hanging uh, in, man.
0: Thank you for your your time and your enthusiasm.
2: As always, Jake, I love it. Um, so I saw this morning. Um, there was a little mention that Sadiq Bay is um potentially on the trading block, and the Pistons are taking early calls on him. Um, do you have any like insight on what they might be looking for? Because I know they recently kind of made a decision on him. You know, they put uh. Bagley, into the starting lineup, took him out. So it seems like they're, you know, kind of just looking to move on from him. Um, do you know what kind of return they're looking for?
0: So I don't. Um, I don't think they're necessarily looking for a return right now either. Because to be clear, like, they're not shopping Sadiq Bay by any stretch. But to me, and certain team people would disagree with me, others definitely do agree. To me, when a team goes from, we're not talking about this guy, he's part of our core – so then they start listening. That that's a that's a categorical shift, and that's what's been described to me from multiple teams I've talked to. That I've I've heard you know they're quietly listening on him, you know. So maybe not so quietly anymore. But uh, I think to your point about him falling out of the starting lineup for a moment, and then I, I believe he went back in after Isaiah Thomas got, or Isaiah Stewart, excuse me, got hurt. Um, and and he missed last night's game due to injury too against Denver. Um, but his his shooting production's down and he's extensionally eligible next year. And one kind of side effect to tanking that I talked about a lot is that when you stockpile all these first round picks, you gotta start paying them and when they're lottery picks, uh, said the Sadiq is not, um, but Cade and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Dern and and Killian Hayes who his, his status has become pretty maligned, I would say, amongst talent evaluators, but the Pistons are still kind of clearly giving him, you know, a run here and opportunity. Like, all those guys, they have to get paid, and they have to make a lot of money based off of what the marketplace, you know, suggests before they, they win games. It's a, diffi- it's a difficult proposition for teams. So, um, I don't know. I mean, Kyle, what do you think Sadiq Bay should be, would be worth um, – being that you know he probably is going to a team that, you know, if they're buying him, they're they're expecting him to continue to show the signs of progress that um, he was showing before this season.
1: Yeah, these are always my least favorite things because whenever I like, if you were to ask me in private, most of my trade valuations on guys, they're always so wrong in either direction. <laughs> like there have been guys that have been traded for hauls that I thought were just absurd and then there have been other guys that they get traded and you're like wait that's all it took why were there not more conversations around this player so I I always feel like I'm missing the boat on that front that's the beauty of
0: this though the market is only what you're able to acquire or get the value for there is no real answer here
1: exactly Um, I mean I guess in theory if you were to offer a pick that's like roughly equivalent to where he was taken originally like, uh, cause I think he has basically been as good as you could probably expect a guy to be in the the mid first round range. Like he's a median ish, maybe a little above median ish outcome for a guy in that range, like a good solid wing, but certainly not anything spectacular a guy has his ups and downs. He's like, I want to say he's like, a 40% ish efficiency guy overall. Actually, I'm and now I pulled up his page, he is exactly 40% from the field on the dot during his career. <laughs> like yeah. league average shooter for his career. And like that's that's about who he is. Like so if you want to if you want him as a, I, I think the the situation you'd want to trade for him in, like if you're a team that is is young but is trying to you know, maybe make a little bit of a mini jump, and you don't want to have another developmental guy. You bring Bay in, and it's just like, all right, we know what we're getting out of him. He's already gotten his his young developmental minutes out in Detroit. I'm okay with trading, you know, pick 20, 22, whatever it is, like somewhere in that range. And you no, know, we, we see if he can help us. He adds another depth piece, maybe high end outcome. He starts and is like a fifth starter type on a good team. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to get or shouldn't get a haul for him. But like I said to start this point, I, I never know what any of these guys are worth until the trade call ultimately
2: comes down.
0: Baller SP, you got something else?
2: Oh, yeah. I just wanted to know, um, have you heard of any teams that are interested? Um, I personally would love the Sixers to be interested, but I'd imagine there's a number of teams who would you know at a reasonable price point?
0: I mean, I have, but I don't want to say anything. Yeah, not not to be that guy, just because it's really early, and I don't want to. I don't want to betray any confidences or anything like that. So, um, I can say that we'll, we'll hear more, and I'll be able to bring more soon. But because because this is early, and I and I don't know, I'm trying to be as responsible as I can in this aggregation economy. <laughs>
1: Look at you, You're a Jake. good man, Jake. What a journalist
0: he is. I'm trying <laughs> to be, man. I'm trying to be. It's uh, the the, per- the perks of the new gig. Um, anything else, fellas?
2: No, that's all I got for now. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time.
0: You got it, man. All right. One last pressing question for you, Kyle, before I let you go off into a nice Thanksgiving stupor. Um, to me, the most pressing thing I wanted to ask you about. Because I have not asked you about this offer or anything. Um, Joel Embiid's quote—I forget after which game—but saying that he basically straight up wants the offense running through him more, no matter who's on the court, no matter when people come back from injury, and look, the the, the puzzle piece fit of Harden and Embiid was something that people around the NBA, particularly people who had been in Houston with James Harden and people who had been in Philly with Joel Embiid, they were forecasting and suggesting and previewing that this was not the easiest marriage of superstars. And But screw it, that's kind of what the Daryl Morey philosophy is, right? You just get the, all, you just get the all-stars and, and see what yeah. they can do together. But the hardened ball dominance and the need to play in high pick and roll action are just in straight up ISO. Embiid liking to catch it, you know, at the nail, you know, at, at the block extended on the wings at the top of the key, and just kind of have the ball stick with him a bit and run through him, and him be kind of the the, the dispenser of, of different opportunities for his teammates once he gets doubled. Those aren't the same, <laughs> and there are even I remember little stories I heard about Embiid. Like I forget which hand, but rolling more often after the trade to whichever hand he knew Harden was stronger at passing it to, stuff like that, you know what I mean? Or so all this preamble is to say, do you think that quote was just uh Joel Embiid being Joel Embiid and knowing how that can kind of rile up people like us and talk about it here and just create a little bit of conversation? and maybe that gets back internally and blah, blah, blah. Or is this like something that really is kind of rifling beneath the surface and you think it's something the Sixers and their coaching staff are trying to figure out?
1: I think it's probably somewhere in the middle because, you know, to your point, these are both guys that for at least on the floor, maybe not at the organizational level in Joel's case because of, you know, when Ben was here, things were – kind of split in who they were building around and, you know, who was being brought in and so forth. But these are two big time stars that they want the world to operate around them. And, you know, I think we've, the good thing is that I think James is far enough into his career that I do believe that like I buy the idea he's willing to sacrifice the, the individual glory and the scoring numbers and some of that to, to try to win, right? Like, I I think we saw in Brooklyn, after seeing him basically be the entire offense in Houston for long stretches of time, he was a lot more willing in Brooklyn to be a quote-unquote point guard and be the table setter for everybody. And we've largely seen that here. Now, some of that is by necessity. He did not have the same burst last year. He's had some of that back this year. We've seen some big scoring nights for him. But even as he's gotten – he's looked more like capital J-H, James Harden, uh, I do think that some of the fit concerns have been overblown with Joel and James from the start because, you know, a- as much as the – both guys are these big personalities who want the ball and all that, they were essentially the best pick-and-roll combination in the league from the moment James got here. Now, that a lot of that is about individual talent, but some of that is – they fell into this thing where there is a middle ground where James has the ball in his hands and now it's Joel catching a, a pocket pass at the free throw line and it's basically automatic and not only is James running that style of offense we've seen that from Tyrese Maxey we've seen them do the same thing with Shake Milton DeAnthony Melton at the controls on offense and so Joel has bought in to being more of a a quote unquote complete player within the offense and someone who's willing to do you know the stuff that not only did he not do much early in his career, he just simply did not really want to be a pick and roll guy. Like he didn't want to be limited to that on offense. Now the 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 question to me is whether James is willing to be a spot up shooter and a catch and shoot guy when he needs to be. And that has not been there Except, no. weirdly enough, on on offensive rebounds, for some reason, James is willing to shoot a, a three, a catch-and-shoot three, basically immediately, and that's the only time. And it's – I can't wrap my mind around why that's the only time and not really any time else, but that is a real thing. Um, I've, they've said, they've done, I've heard all the right things behind the scenes about the two of them being bought in as a partnership together, I haven't heard the same stuff that there was like the, the iciness and the weirdness between uh, Ben and Joel that obviously that was off discussed long before Ben wanted out of the situation. Um, So as far as I know, and as far as we are at at this point in their respective Sixers careers, I think both guys are, are in a good place. It's all going to be tested though. I think when James comes back, because this run that Joel has been on where, he is the offense when he's on the floor and we've seen his growth as a playmaker, as a guy who can do things from the middle of the floor. And certainly he's not Nikola Jokic as a passer, but he's embracing being more of that playmaking guy in the middle of the floor and getting away from pressure and double teams as a passer. And, you know, if James isn't willing to let him be that guy from time to time and balancing that with uh, him controlling the offense, then, yeah, sure, I, I could imagine there might be some friction between the two of them. But up to this point, I think everything is good. Now, talk to me in uh, a month after they have a couple bad losses. and You never know. That's the fun of covering the NBA. Things can change very quickly, and uh, I'm excited to see where the season heads.
0: All right, man. It's been over a half hour. I've asked you some questions. We've taken some questions. It's only fair. Do you have any questions you want to ask me? You don't have to, but the, the floor is yours.
1: No, buddy. I want you to, uh, to focus on the real big event of this evening, which is your high school reunion. There to you make go. sure that you uh, don't embarrass yourself in front of your former and I guess maybe current peers. Um, just go there, have a good time, and uh, try to avoid as many awkward conversations as you can.
0: There you go, man. Thank you, for that, man. Anything you want to uh, you
1: want to plug before you get out of here? Uh, just to, to follow me on as long as Twitter exists, I'm at Kyle <laughs> Newbeck on Twitter. Um, my work is all at Philly Voice in the written form. Um, I do have a potential project on the horizon that I can't say anything about yet. Oh. That is more in the type of space that you and I are in at this very moment. Oh. Um, So, yeah, well, uh, that's for another day, but just keep an eye out for uh, an announcement and some new content from me coming soon.
0: There you go, man. Excited to see it. Congrats on whatever it is. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Um, I, I need to do another show at some point between now and the end of the month.
2: Don't know when. We'll make it happen. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Take care.